Isn't it great to be a part of a spiritual family who cares about the world, who really cares about helping people on a life-changing journey with Jesus? And I just, that video is great, just a way to tell two stories, just two stories of what happens every month at Daybreak. And I just want to say thank you to those of you who to give to that, who minister to that, who are part of changing the world. And uh, it's good to just be a part of what Jesus asked us to do, which is invite people to a better way of living, God's way of living. So much better. It's so good. And so um, just want to say thank you that this morning and let you know, like, that's been a whole, that's kind of the focus of our whole series this fall, is how to invite Jesus into our lives and how to make a plan for it and be intentional about it in a way that we experience true transformation, real deep transformation. And so um, that's for us and it's for the sake of others so that we can live our lives that way. And we've talked about it in many different forums. And the goal of this series is to help you have form a rule of life or a journey plan, a way of you going, I want to intentionally have some things in my life that help me live the way Jesus invited me to live. So we've talked about it in the past. In fact, uh, John talked about our 100-word stories a couple weeks ago, how important it is to have a story, to know your story, to be able to tell someone else your story when they ask about how Jesus has changed your life. And then we talked about last week a little bit about spiritual rhythms. Carmen brought a great message about spiritual rhythms and Sabbath and how as countercultural as that is, how important it is to our lives to be able to connect with God in important ways. And this week, talking about roadies for the long haul, what it means to have connections in our life, to have really meaningful people in our life, and how that changes us, and how do we experience that, why it's important. You know, when I think about that part of our journey this morning, as we talk about that, I think about um, the things in my life, the times in my life that I've I've had some really meaningful connections with people, and when I think about, like, House parties, you know, like when people invite you over to their house. Have you ever been to those parties that someone invites you over and there's, there's just a ton of people there and they're everywhere. There's probably like, you've probably exceeded max occupancy on the house and the property, you know, and it's, and it's great and you're really enjoying it. And, but, you know, when I think about all those times, and I've been to a lot of those different places and it's been good, but really what I remember about them is those places, not in the big crowd, when I've gone around and talked to people and we've laughed at things, we had a good time, but as we've moved off of the deck into like the kitchen, you know, and I don't know how many people your kitchen holds, but like my kitchen doesn't hold nearly as many as like the deck. And so then you're down to like 10 people or something in the kitchen having this conversation or out on the front porch with just on our front porch, we have room for like three or four people just out there having a conversation about real life, really connecting. Those are the conversations that are really meaningful. And I believe that one of the reasons that is is because in our life, whether it's in a party or in our life itself, the smaller the environment, the deeper the connection. Smaller the environment that we move to, the deeper the connection can be with the other people in our life. And I believe that that also transfers to our spiritual life, to the way we live life, the deeper the connection we have with some other people who are following Jesus, the deeper our connection will be with God. So that's what we're talking about this morning, how that smaller environment can affect deeply our deep connection. We all, we all need some called-out companions. We talked about the first week of the series, the idea of having a called-out companion, someone who's called out to follow Jesus, who's on this journey, who we can travel with, who we can live life with, who can help us on that journey. We all need a few called-out companions. And no matter where you're at on your journey itself, whether you've been decided, I know I'm in, I'm following Jesus, or whether this morning you're just kind of coming to church, checking that out, going, I don't know where I am on the journey, but I'm, I'm willing to engage a little bit in this, and I'm here. Couldn't you use some more people in your life who just 
could help you through crises, who could walk with you in difficult times, who could talk to you, even answer questions or seek the answer to questions about who God is, about what our purpose is in life, about how God intersects with our life. You know, even Jesus lived that way. That was part of his life. If you don't know much about Jesus' life, he, he was pretty popular. Pretty popular speaker. People loved to hear him. People would come from miles around to hear him. He spoke, this gospel say he spoke like no one else. So people would travel from all around. He'd have these big crowds. But here's the thing. Jesus didn't pick 1,500 people to follow him. He didn't pick 12,000 people to follow him. How many people did he pick that we see in the gospels to choose to be with? Twelve, right. Twelve people. Not a really big environment, but he chose to move from bigger to smaller. Why? Because he wanted those deeper connections. And then within that t- group of 12, he would have these sacred times, these times where like, he was going to a mountain. They were going to experience something deeply spiritual, deeply meaningful, and he just invited three. Just said, hey, could you three guys come with me? Like, we've developed some relationship. I just want to experience this with you. If you've ever been in that kind of environment, you know how deeply those connections run. I think about missions trips that I've taken where we've served together in Biloxi or Cambodia or some other place in the world. I remember those relationships. I have a deeper connection with those people because we went somewhere, we did something, but we, it was fewer people. It was a smaller environment. That's what Jesus invites us to, those smaller environments to be part of. And it's one of the few environments that he made a specific promise about. I mean, he could have made promises about lots of different sizes of environments, but I find it interesting in Matthew 18 that he made a specific promise about a specifically sized environment, and he said this in Matthew 18, for where two or three are gathered in my name, I will be with them. I'll be in the room. Now, the interesting context here is in Matthew 18, it talks about the nitty-gritty of life, what it's like to live life with people when you have to forgive them and the conflict comes up and you have to work it out, give some advice in there. But Jesus gives all kind of advice in there. Really, though, what he's saying is, listen, in the toughest times in life and in the real nitty-gritty of life, where two or three are gathered, I promise you I will be there. I promise you if you're looking for me, if you want to find me someplace, look for me there. I'll be there. So God gives us this promise. Don't just look for me in the big environment. Move to a smaller environment. Because in the smaller the environment, the deeper the connections. Not just with other people, but with God. And I found that much true in my own experience as well. Those deeper connections I have with people have all happened in those smaller environments. Not just at my house party, but in my life. Where I've chosen to carve out time and be with a few people. That has transformed my life. They ask me questions. They live life with me. They know me better than anyone else. And it's good to live life with them. And I believe that we're all built to long and to have some of those relationships in our life. Because tough times will come. I mean, if you haven't experienced them yet, they will come. Someone will push your apple cart over. All the apples will spill out. And you'll be like, oh, no. And when you have some called out companions, you will experience God and you experience God tangibly through your called-out companions to help you on that journey. So I invite you to take a look at, like, how do I do that today? So if you get out your outline this morning out of your program, God, we're going to explore a little bit of how do I do that? Like, you may have been in groups before and in places before where you just haven't experienced the kind of called-out companionship you were looking for, even though the environment was smaller. So we're going to talk about two ingredients that we find in Acts chapter 2, the very beginning of the church. And the cool thing about the very beginning of the church is it's with the very people that were with Jesus. 
It's the people who witnessed Jesus' life, who put it into practice, and then followed these guys called the apostles, who were with Jesus, his 12 disciples, and they said, this, this must be what it looks like. And so there's a description of what it looks like. We're going to explore two aspects of it this morning in Acts chapter 2. So let's talk about how do I have a deeper connection with people? How do I experience that? Well, deeper connections happen through experiencing spiritual practices together. This is the first thing we see in Acts. When I experience spiritual practices with someone, it deepens my connection with them and with God. Jesus modeled it. I mean, Jesus modeled it all the time. He was always calling his disciples, these 12 guys away, to pray, to be with him. Even the very last moments of his life, the last hours before he faced the cross, the most difficult transition in his life, the difficult time, he invited 12 guys to go to a garden and pray. And then he said to a couple of them, will you come away with me a little farther? I got to go pray. Will you just pray for me? Will you be with me and experience this together? And they didn't do it perfectly, but that really wasn't the point. The point was that they were together. Jesus was inviting them to experience it together. He modeled it, and he lived it. And that's why in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, we discover that at the very beginning of the church itself, the very beginning of these people who decided Jesus is the real deal, I mean, he predicted his own death and pulled it off. This guy's the real deal. We want to follow him because he really does have a better way. So this is what we read that they did. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They came together, and this, this was like this time of like incredible awe. Like miracles were happening. I mean, the church went from like 12 guys to 500 guys to 5,000 guys to 10,000. I mean, things were happening. You wanted to be a part of it. It was an exciting time. And what did they do? They practiced spiritual experiences. They had practices that they did together. Why did they do that, do you think? Because they saw the apostles doing it. Why did the apostles do it? Because they did it with Jesus. Because deeper connections are formed in those smaller circles. Look at the kind of things they did. They devoted themselves to teaching. So they didn't just go and show up at a temple, although they did do that. They showed up at a temple and they listened to teaching. But then they also broke bread together. They went to each other's homes. They ate together. They practiced communion, remembering what Christ did together. But they also just ate meals together. You know what it's like when you, you can eat, you can hang out with someone without a cup of coffee and without any food and have a decent time. But enter in some good food and some good coffee, some drink. You know what happens, right? Everybody knows what happens. I mean, if, if this wasn't true, then before a football game, there would be no tailgating, right? People would just go and show up in their cars and sit and look at each other. But that's not what they do, right? They make hamburgers. They drink beer. They have a good time together. Why do they do all that? Why is that a commonality in the human nature? Because God created us that way. Because God created us over meals to come together and have something sacred. And even though some of those things that happen in the tailgating thing might not be sacred, they're approaching sacred. I mean, I, I was at the Steelers game uh, a few, like in September. My wife and I went to the Steelers game. I married right. My wife loves to go to Steelers games for our anniversary. Like it was on our anniversary, and she was like, yes, let's go do that. I don't know how I did that. That was like the biggest gift of God to me. But anyway, we're walking through the crowd, and I'm looking around, and I look at Susan and say, you know, it's a, it's a Sunday, and I'm a pastor, right? So I know where I usually am on Sunday morning, right? So I, I'm looking through the crowd, though, and I'm looking at all these people, and I'm like, this is their community experience. This is where they find the connection that God desires for every one of us to have. And it was, it was meaningful and deep because there's just a few of them connecting, and they do it all the time. 
And God invites you to experience the same thing, only in a deeply spiritual way. How does it happen? It happens through devoting yourself to teaching. Say, I'm not just going to learn it on Sunday morning. I'm going to work it out in the lab and have some people around me to ask conversation about. It happens through breaking the bread and eating meals together and having something sacred. It happens through praying together and spiritually getting together and saying, how can I pray for you? How can I be with you? These are all elements of it. And then there's this one word in there called fellowship. And that's kind of this general word, and sometimes it loses a lot of meaning in the English version. And so the Greek word there is koinonia, and koinonia in classical Greek, meant this idea of active partnership. And so it would be used in a lot of different ways. And here's some of them. It would be used in a business partnership, koinonia, like how to come together in an active partnership, pursuing something on mission together. Um, It would be used in a marital context, koinonia, how to come together and have something close and share life together. It would even be used in the context of sexual intercourse. So this word koinonia is not to be taken lightly as if like, oh, fellowship, that's when I come and I smile and I wave at people and it's a good time. This idea of fellowship is sharing life, right? I'm together with you. I am in your life together and we are, we are exploring things that are of the utmost importance. They're the utmost importance because they determine their trajectory of life, what we do and where we go. So I guess the point here is when we get together, what we do matters. When you get to a smaller environment with some other people, what you do matters. See, spiritual practices are, well, as my sons put it sometimes when I'm talking to them about their relationship with God and what that looks like, that it's more about more than just going to church or showing up. It's more than just, hey, I can get to heaven and that's what I really want. It's about wanting God, not just wanting heaven. Because if you want heaven and you don't want God, you won't like heaven because that's what heaven's all about is God. So we're talking about it, and they said, well, yeah, that's, that's, but that's hard because he's invisible. Like, I can't see him. I can't touch him. How do, I, how do I hear from him? You're right. That's why spiritual practices are so important, because the invisible God, the reality of the invisible God, intersects with our life. It's in the spiritual practice realm when we practice it together that the invisible God becomes apparent to us, that we hear him together, that we work together, that we celebrate it together. It's in that moment Spiritual practices slow us down enough to make space for God in our life. Without spiritual practices, it's easy just to hang out with people and do whatever we want. It's it's a good time, but it's not deeply meaningful. Do you know why? Because your soul longs for a connection with God. That's the reality. Your soul is deeply longing for a connection with God, and what you do in those environments matter. Spiritual practices matter. True fellowship is sharing life together, sharing the most important parts of life together which is the important part of how God intersects with our life. An active partnership helps us get past things like when things fall apart in our life. Active partnership with other people who are following Jesus helps us dream the dreams that God has for us in life. Active partnership in our life helps us take that drag, all those chains that hold us back like our bad habits and our hang-ups and our hurts and helps us unlock them and shed them because someone else is in it with us and is willing to just be with us in it. But we all have places where we're, while we need it, we resist it. We resist it for a lot of reasons. We put up walls. We, we think, oh, I don't know if I should. And so I want you to just listen to the story, uh, actually Jason Fickus's story, our small group director's story, which explains his passion um, about his aha experience about how important it is to connect, to move to smaller environments and have those relationships in his life. Let's watch. 
As I started college, most of my friends had scattered across the country, and I was focusing almost all of my relational energy on a new romantic relationship to the exclusion of all other relationships. But when life and that relationship got hard, I felt alone and awkward with no one to process life with. Starting new relationships just felt too hard to me, so I intentionally isolated myself from most other people. As a result, my relationship with God and the quality of my life suffered. Now, after a few years of isolation, I was invited to and I reluctantly decided to join a small group. And my experience in small groups has changed the trajectory of my life from that of an isolated loner to a loving Christ follower who has found belonging and purpose in God's family. And my passion now is to create other Christian communities where people can experience similar life change. That's, that is some of all of our stories. Like that idea of like, I, also, I had reservations about this. I didn't know what to expect. So I just stayed in the big environment. I just, I just kind of resisted going smaller. But then I got to a point in my life where I just realized, or those moments in your life, and they might be small windows where you go, I need somebody else. I can't just keep going on this journey by myself. It's, it's not enough. I need some called out companions to be with me on this journey. Now, we all have reservations about that. Pastor Rick and I were talking about that the other week. He's preaching at uh, Gettysburg Pike campus today. And as we were talking about the message, we were talking about this one incident that happened to him recently. He had this conversation with Dan Heatherly, who's one of our musicians. And Dan said, listen, Rick, I, I, I've been on this journey a while, but you know, I've been in my 20s. And I just, before it was just about like, kind of like, eh, that's enough, and I don't want to go any farther. But right now, God's done something in me. I deeply want to know God's heart. I deeply want to like, have something new in my life. My soul is longing for a real connection, real purpose in my life. He said, but I feel stuck. I feel like I don't know what to do next. I feel like Sunday morning's not enough, and I don't know what to do about that. I don't know where to go. I just feel stuck. And so Rick said, I just asked him, like, do you have some called out companions? Do you have somebody that you journey with who longs like you do to be transformed, to be like Jesus, to walk in Jesus' way, to experience what Jesus meant to bring, which is the kingdom of heaven to earth so we could walk it and experience it. Do you have anybody like that in your life? He went, not really. I mean, I have some friends. I have some people that I do things with, but nobody like that. Nobody who's like, man, they're intensely on the journey. That's what you need. Because without called out companions, it's easy to lose our traction, lose our way. It's easy to show up and hear something good on a Sunday and do nothing with it. But when you have called out companions, what happens is it prepares you. It seasons you. It cultivates you. You need a classroom, certainly, but you also need a lab. You need to work it out in life. You need to be in life with someone else and work it out. And that's what growing is all about. You need some Jesus people. So the question is, how do you find Jesus people? Where do you find Jesus people? You find them in smaller environments. By just taking your next step into a smaller environment, whatever that smaller environment is, you might find them anywhere. We provide lots of opportunities at daybreak for you to find smaller environments. But let me tell you a secret. It doesn't have to be through daybreak. Because the point is that you have called out companions, that you've moved into a smaller environment. Wherever you find them, find them. They're crucial into your life. And when you have them, begin to experience some spiritual practices together. Some of you might already have some called out companions, 
but you feel like, you know what, we're not, it's not like we're moving somewhere. It's not like we're, we don't seem to have any traction. And maybe what you need is to experience some spiritual practices together, to do things Jesus' way, to live out authentic transformation is to integrate the practices of Jesus, the way he lived, into our life. Maybe you just need to walk with them and talk to them about that and say, can we do a little bit more of this? Can we do some things together that are Jesus' practices? There's four practices right mentioned in Acts that Jesus did, that the apostles did, the early church did, and so can you do. But you need to do it with some other people. You need to integrate that into your time together. Now, probably if I was you, I, I would be asking some questions too, like, okay, well, let's say I wanted to do that, but I got to tell you, I'm kind of busy. I don't know that I have time for that in my life right now. I'm just you don't know how many places I have to be during the week, and I'm just so busy, and by the weekend, I'm exhausted, and i got to run my kids to all these events, and my life's just hectic. I just don't have time for it. Here's what I would say to you. Life is shorter than you think, and you don't have time not to have it. Because someday, you're going to face something that's bigger than you. And it will be too late to try to grasp for called-out companions then. And you'll have to go through it by yourself for a bit. You'll have to reach out and try to find them there. And let me tell you, it's a lot easier to find them here, now, where you are at. To look for those called out companions. Because then when you get to that place, they're already with you. They're already walking with you. So don't wait. Don't hold back. And maybe you're a person too that's like, eh, I don't know if I want to go any further. That seems kind of unsafe. You know what? With Jesus, it becomes safe. With called out companions, the difference is that you're going with people who are trying to follow Jesus too. And then you go there together. That's why on the journey plan at Daybreak, the rule of life for how do I live my life more intentionally, we have a whole section that's just committed to how do I connect with God's family? How will I connect with God's family? How am I going to move from a bigger environment to a smaller environment? Because there's There's the body of Christ that's big. It's millions of believers all over the world, and we are connected to each other through Jesus. But then there's the local church. The local church is an expression where it's a smaller environment. And if you've never been to church, this is a pretty big step. Just showing up on a Sunday is a pretty big step. And you can experience all kind of life change through this. But at some point, you're going to get to the point where you're like, stale, it's not working, I need a little bit more. And the answer is, yeah, you do. You need some call out companions. You need to move to a smaller environment, maybe that's moving to a seasonal group. Maybe that's moving into a Bible study group. Maybe that's moving into a men's or a women's group. Or maybe it's moving into a, a home group where it's people are gathered together. But all of those environments do one thing. They create the context for relationship, for you to explore and be there and be with people. And sometimes you've got to be there long enough, right? You've got to keep going long enough that you build some relationship with people. So be patient with it. Don't abandon it right away, but work on it. It is incredibly important. And I give you permission, like, What your plan is, whether it's checking a box on there or scratching the whole thing out and saying, here's the names of my companions. Here's the people I'm going to ask. Have, just write it in. Live life intentionally. That's what having a rule of life, a journey plan is all about. So how do you know when you change environments? You know how to know when to change environments, to go a little smaller when you feel like, I've been in this environment long enough. I've built some good relationships. God was moving here. But now it's kind of stuck. Well, that means maybe you need to go a little smaller. Or maybe you need to be more, a little more intentional. Of I need an environment where I can practice some spiritual practice with people, people who are pursuing Jesus. Sometimes I also think that there's a second lesson we can learn that we see in Acts. Sometimes I think we go and we just have our reservations and we kind of hold back. Like, I'm in a group with people, 
but I'm not sure I want to really tell them what my life is like. I'm just I'm a little insecure about them getting in my knickers, and I don't know, you know, I just don't know if they'll like me. I don't know whatever all the risks are. I'm just not sure if I want to go there. And so we learn this other lesson that we find in Acts 2, and that's we need to learn how to become authentic together. Deeper connections happen when we experience spiritual practices together, and then we learn how to become authentic together. Being authentic is an important part of your journey. You all know what it's like when someone shows up to your house and you didn't invite them and it kind of surprises you, and it was like the tornado just hit your house, you know, and it came apart at the seams. And the tornado, of course, had its, its names, right? They're named after your children, all the tornadoes that were going around your house. And now it's a disaster, and you're like, oh, no, and this person wants to come in your house, and you're like, yikes, they're going to see how we really live, right? Surprise, they're going to see that you live just like them, right? Like, oh, my, like, oh, look, there's disasters, and there's, yeah, that's a part of how life is. Have you ever been caught in that moment where you're like, oh, I've been forced to be authentic, right? I have to be authentic now. It feels a little awkward. But the whole point of following Jesus in real relationship is that we choose to be authentic. We make choices about showing our real life so that we can become more like Jesus, so that we can be more real about it. That becomes a part of a journey to honesty. And that's why it says in Acts 2, there's just one verse in there, Acts 2, Verse 44, it says, all the believers were together, and they had everything in common. I want to talk about these two words, together and in common. It's just one way of saying this. They were knee-deep in each other's lives. It was not like, oh, we're kind of like hanging out a little bit together. It was like, we are knee-deep in each other's lives. We are experiencing what Jesus called like the ideal, but we're experiencing in what's really real. Right? And you know the difference between the ideal and the real? The ideal is, well, this is what the kingdom, Jesus paints people of the kingdom. This is what God meant for us to live like. This is what God meant for us to experience. And the real is, what am I really experiencing? What is it really like when the wheels fall off, when there's things in my own life that are keeping me from experiencing the ideal? How do I, how do I deal with that tension? Well, the, one of the ways you deal with the tension is you don't give up on the ideal because of the real. You get called out companions in the, in the real, and you say, can we move together towards the ideal? Can you help me figure out the ideal? My soul longs for what God wants to provide for me. But often I think our, our issue is we, we manage our image too much, right? We manage it on Facebook, right? We put all kinds of things out about ourselves, about like all you get from people on Facebook, well, you do have the ranters, right, who just rant about everything on Facebook. You're like, they must be a very angry person. And then you have other people who are like, they manage their image this way, right? You only ever see their trips to Bermuda and all of the trophies their kids win. I mean, as far as you know, their kids are like in third grade and in college already because they win every trophy. They're the best in every class. They do everything perfectly. And you're like, wow, boy, I wish my life was like that. That's but it doesn't seem very real to you, right? Because you know what your kids are really like, and they're not exactly like that. And there's nothing wrong with celebrating those things. But here's the problem when it becomes image management. You know, I'm projecting something that I want you to see me as because I'd rather not have you see me as who I really am. It becomes a problem because then we don't have people in our life that we can be real with. We, we basically have solved the gap between the real and the ideal by pretending. And pretending is not real. It's not what Jesus meant for you to establish and meant for you to have. 
Now, here's, here's how that's, that's happened to me in my life, and, you know, this is part of the journey, and I think this is part of how we manage our image. You know, we all have driver's license photos we're not proud of, right? Okay, so when I was in college, um, I lost my license, and I had to go get a new picture taken, and it was during, during uh, spring allergy season, and so I went to get my picture taken. Now, back then, you went to PennDOT, and there was about 100 different lines, and so you got in one, you waited for 30 minutes, and then they told you you're in the wrong one. You have to go get this form before you can come to this one, but you have to wait in a different line to get the form to come to this one, only to find out you have to wait in a different one, right? Do you, anybody remember those experiences at PennDOT? Before the whole number thing, where they just call your number and they're really helpful, was that's why that exists now. And so, so you'd go to PennDOT, you'd have this experience, and then the gal who took your picture for your license, she was like Marge from Monsters, saying, what do you want? You're here. You know, and so, so you showed up, and you, you already knew she was mad at you because you were interrupting her day to get your picture taken. And so, so you'd sit down and get your picture taken, but you get one shot. There's no, there's no TV thing to go, oh, I love, well, wait, that's not my good side. Let me go like, you know, you, there was none of that. It was like one chance. You take the picture, that's your license photo. So she took my picture. The problem was, just at the time that she was about to snap the picture, I was about to sneeze, okay? So this is what I ended up with for three years. <laughs> for three years, this was the authentic version of Sean that everyone got to see, right? I mean, people were like, what in the world happened to you, right? Like, I mean, that was back when you had to write checks for things. And I was, at a, like, I was in college writing a check out, and the cashier was like looking at me like, you just show them your license, and they were like, it was back when I didn't know what the speed limit, there was speed limits on the road, and so I often get pulled over by the cop, and you know, there's no way you get out of a ticket looking like this on your license. I mean, he laughs at you and mocks you, and then he writes you the ticket, okay? So, like, this was my life for three years. I lived with this picture. Oh, my word. I just felt, and, and the funny thing is now I keep it, right, as a, as a reminder of don't manage your image. Like, it's not worth it. It's okay for people just to see you as you really are. Because for years of my own life, I managed my image. And when I managed my image, I didn't get to experience the real life, the ideal life that Jesus had for me. And it wasn't until I found some called-out companions on the journey that I began to experience what was real. And Paul talks about this in Colossians. The Apostle Paul was a church planner. And he planted churches all over the Roman Empire and had to deal with all kinds of people from all different places, and they didn't always get along, and they didn't see eye to eye. But he said, see, here's what's special about Jesus. He says, here in Jesus, Colossians 3, chapter, 11, chapter 3, verse 11, here there is no Gentile or Jew. There's no circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. But Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, anchored in the fact that God loves you, God welcomes you in, you don't have to worry about what other people think, just worry about what God thinks. He loves you dearly as you are, moving from the real towards the ideal. It says, clothe yourselves in compassion, in kindness, in humility, in gentleness, and in patience. Now let's stop there for a second. So Paul says, Here's, what, here's a description of the ideal when you're knee-deep in each other's life. Compassion and love and patience and kindness. All of these things. These describe Jesus and what a Jesus follower looks like. But how does that work out in the real? That's not so easy. 
And the problem is that for most of us, right, in a bigger environment, if we choose to just live in a bigger environment or we choose to just kind of go it alone, we can lull ourselves into a false sense of security. We can lull ourselves into thinking, I'm pretty patient. I'm pretty kind. I mean, maybe except for like when I'm driving, maybe I'm not patient or kind there. But I mean, in general, I'm pretty patient. I'm pretty kind. I'm pretty compassionate. I mean, take, for example, when you become a parent. Remember the days, like, if you become a parent, like, before you were a parent, and you were like, oh, I can't wait. That baby, man, those babies are going to be awesome. And, you know, it's going to be so great when you hold that baby, and they're going to smell so good. Man, it's good. And then you have a baby, right? And you find out that babies, as needy creatures, are basically the most selfish creatures on earth in terms of they're inconsiderate. Like, they don't care that you're holding them like this. They will poop right in front of you while you're holding it. Who does that? People need personal space for that. What's up with that? They don't care that your food's getting cold, do they? If they want to eat, they want to eat right now. Too bad about your food. They don't care that you have to get up in the morning, right? You're like, like, I just need a few hours sleep. Ah, ah, and you're, so you go and you take care of them, right? You feed them, you like, you change their diaper, you give them Benadryl. Did I say that out loud? Do you... You know, you do all the things that you think you need to do to help them, right, through that. And they're still crying. And it feels like all of a sudden you realize in that moment as a parent, I thought I was pretty compassionate, but I feel no compassion right now, right? I thought I was pretty patient, but I'm finding myself not so patient right now. And the same is true in all the environments in our life. The smaller we go, the more we realize, the more we can test out, how am I really doing in Jesus' way? What's the real world actually like? Not this false sense of security of, I think I'm doing fine, but when I work it out, we find if we're really living out what Jesus has for us. If we really know his kingdom way, or we just like to talk about his kingdom way. So as you walk with this, the whole point of it is Paul saying, listen, this is what the ideal looks like. And then he goes on in verse 13 to describe the real. Bear with each other. Forgive one another. If anyone has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. He says, in this place between the ideal and the real is this great tension and this messy chaos where you're going to discover what you really like. You're going to discover what other people are really like. And in that place is a place to forgive one another, to work it out, to have enough relationship to say, Jesus' way says, I work it out. I figure it out as I work with that other person and I strive towards the ideal. I let Jesus, and the the whole point is not that you become great for that other person, but that you follow Jesus' way and then you have something to give to the other people. You're not trying to get from them. You're trying to become who Jesus wants you to be so you can give to them. This is what following Jesus is all about. And you know, there's no perfect relationships because the moment you entered into it, it was no longer perfect. I'm sorry if I had to break your bubble, but that's true. The moment you entered into it became an imperfect relationship. But Paul says it, you can move towards the ideal while living in the real. And following Jesus, having Jesus' love in our life, I mean, the real mark of maturity as Jesus followers, love God, love people. How am I doing at loving God? How am I doing at loving people? Really living it out. And the only way to know that for sure is by moving from a big environment to a smaller environment where you're testing it out, where you're living it out with people and working it out with people. God wants you to be in that environment. Now, let's talk about a few things about being in that environment. Just some experiential tips from my part. Now, 
So in a group like that, right, there's all kind of different people who come to a, to a smaller context. And you know some of them. Some of them might be you. For instance, there's the overshare. You know the person who's the overshare. Like, you have an hour together, right? And they thought this was an hour of therapy. And so their lips never started moving, stopped moving. They just blah, 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 blah. And they backed up the truck. They, they shared things with you that when you left, you were like, I don't think I should know that even about myself, more or less them. Like, I, I don't even know what to do with it. Like, so there's the overshare. So be careful that you're not the overshare because a smaller environment isn't just about others knowing you. It's about you knowing others. Then there's the opposite of the spectrum, right? The questioner or quiet person, the wise sage who fits back, just quietly observes the whole time. Like, you don't know if they're angry with you or if they're just, like, evaluating everything that you've said or they, or they ask lots of questions. But really what they're doing is just holding back. They're not sure what they share. Often, you know, that's, that's a great introvert technique for, like, it's just part of their nature to be quiet. But in an environment that, it takes time right, to say, I feel safe enough to share some. I need to know that I'm safe here before I share, before I become more real. And so my encouragement to you is stick with some of this stuff too. Know that asking questions is good, but also know that you've got to stay in an environment long enough to become known to them and to know them. If you're going to find some good called-out companions, don't expect that the first time you show up, it's like, we're all, love. it's kumbaya, we all love each other. Like, you don't know them yet, they don't know you. And you've got to live some life together first. So find some places in your life that you can live some life together and be honest. And find some of those good places where you can work out, how do I live out the ideal while living in the real? Can you help me pull that off? Here's my advice too. When, you, when it comes to like sharing in a group like that, for those of you who are like, yeah, I'm not the overshare, I'm the opposite end. My advice to you is wherever you go, and sometimes the overshare is really just a way of not sharing what is really deep within their soul too. Like both of those things can be hiding, image management. Here's, my, here's what I would encourage you to do. Those things that feel very unsafe to you, like I don't know if I would be accepted or loved or I should share this thing or they'll see me differently if I tell them about this. Don't share the whole story. But, you know, if it feels like a big edge of the cliff, just Look over the edge. Just get a little closer. Share a little bit. Just step a little bit outside your safety net. You don't have to step all the way out. You don't have to, like, go without a rope. But just hold on to the rope and just take a step towards sharing a little bit more. See how it feels. See what experience is there. Let, let Jesus do the rest. Trust Jesus for the rest. Because you should be sharing the whole thing with Jesus. It's one of the things that happens when we get in a smaller environment. We learn when we can trust others, we can trust Jesus, too. Some of us see Jesus as judgmental or he doesn't want to know that about me. I got news for you. He already knows it about you and loves you. But sometimes we got to share that with someone else to say, I'm willing to do it with God too. I'm willing to be invited in this context. So the question for you is the same. Do you have some people in your life, some called out companions? Have you moved from a smaller environment so that you can have some deeper connections with people? Are you ready to do that or do you feel stuck? Do you know that it's God's greatest desire for you to have those deep connections with other people? Because it's those deep connections with other people that give you a deeper connection with God. And I can tell you from my experience, the guys that I've walked with for a long time now, I discovered them. I've, I've said this, I know I've said this a million times. You'll hear it from me a million more. 
I found them as an adult, like right out of college, a couple small groups I went through, and I found some guys that I, I connected with. They wanted to know Jesus, and I asked them, can I, can I join you guys for breakfast? I've been meeting with guys like that now every week. In fact, there's two guys in my life. It's one of my smaller environments. We meet every week at 6 a.m. at Wednesday. 6 a.m. in the morning is really early. So some of you, like, when that 5 is on the clock, I don't like to be awake when that five is on the clock, but here's what I've learned. Showing up is a big part of building those relationships. So I show up, and we, practice, we pray for each other. We read books together. We go on hikes together and experience spiritual practices together. We share life about things that we wouldn't tell anybody else. We're together. God wants that for you. God is inviting you to experience it. Stop holding back. Stop keeping yourself from really enjoying who that is. Every one of us needs a brother or a sister or a couple brothers and a couple sisters to walk through life with. And if you don't have them, there is going to be a time where you face something that you'll need them. If if you're not ready for it, that's okay. That's okay. Stay where you are. But when you're walk with Jesus and your life gets a little hectic or you feel like it's a little stale and you feel like I can't make progress or I don't know what to do, then you'll know it's the right season and the right time to seek it out. Don't wait. Don't wait any longer. Invite them into your life because without them, you truly are on your own. You truly are without such a rich voice of God because that's what happens. I, twice this week, I heard stories from other people about how someone spoke into their life and rescued them in a crisis situation, walked with them, and they were glad for it. And it meant all the difference to them. And I want you to experience the same thing. So, worship team's going to come. They're going to play a song. It's called the Servant Song. It's an older song. If you've been around the Christian circles a long time, you've probably heard it. While it's playing, here's what I... While you're singing, while you're worshiping, I just want you to think about this for a second. What's, what's holding me back? What's holding me back from having called out companions? Who are those called out companions? Can I name them? Can I experience them? Or have I resisted too long? What's, what's Jesus saying to you about that place? Are you ready to go smaller so that you can get deeper with some people? Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, today we invite you to speak to us about having a deeper and authentic life with you because we have authentic life with a few others. We invite you to speak to us about, Lord, not just being in a big context, not hiding out by ourselves, but inviting some other people in to really experience you. God, will you speak to our hearts? We all long for you. You created us with a longing to know you and to be well within you. Help us to be thankful for the people you've given us. Help us to know who they are. And give us the courage to make the decision to follow you and to invite them into our lives. In Jesus' name.